Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 60. Last week, I covered the second half of the story of the migration of Dan, which led to the first part of the Levite's concubine tale. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm picking up with what happened to the tribes after that horrific crime and working my way through the end of the book. And with that, let's get started. Judges chapter 20 picks up at some point later. We're not told how much later, but it was enough time for the message and story to sink in. The chapter begins by telling us that all the Israelites came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled in one body before the Lord at Mizpah. The chiefs of all the people, of all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers bearing arms. Among these 400,000, and despite what the text said earlier, that all of the Israelites came out, it didn't include the Benjaminites, as we're next parenthetically told that the Benjaminites heard that the people of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. Back at Mizpah, the assembled chiefs brought forward the husband of the murdered woman, still only identified as a Levite, with no name given. They asked him, Tell us, how did this criminal act come about? The Levite recounted the narrative. Specifically, I came to Jibea, that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine, to spend the night. The lords of Jibea rose up against me and surrounded the house at night. They intended to kill me, and they, and I'm going to skip over the next part, just know he relayed the story as it happened, except he left out the part where he threw her out of the house to the mob. The Levite wraps up the story by telling the Israelites that the men of Jibea, the Benjaminites, committed a vile outrage in Israel. He asked the assembled men to give their advice and counsel. The gathered tribes articulated a plan to exact justice, at least in name, from the Benjaminites. So, all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one. Essentially, 90% of the men from the other 11 tribes would attack Jibea with the remaining 10% tasked with providing logistics. The tribe sent men throughout the territory of Benjamin, giving the innocent in Benjamin a way out of the mess, telling them, What crime is this that has been committed among you? Hand over those scoundrels in Jibea, so that we may put them to death and purge the evil from Israel. But the Benjaminites did not listen. Instead, they assembled for battle against the Israelites, bringing out 26,000 armed men from their towns. Then, an additional detail that provides insight into the way battles were fought in that day. Of all this Benjaminite force, there were 700 picked men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. As for the Israelites, they brought 400,000 men, all described as warriors, to the battlefield. They outnumbered the Benjaminites nearly 15 to 1. The amassed Israelites then asked God which group should go up to the battlefield first. The reply was to send Judah. 
The next morning, the Israelites got up and hiked to Jibea, where they encamped. The Benjaminites came out of Jibea and killed 22,000 Israelites. This was a complete surprise to the Israelites, who then asked God, Shall we again draw near to the battle against our kinsfolk, the Benjaminites? God told them to attack. The Israelites gathered their courage and again formed the battle line in the same place where they had formed it on the first day, meaning just outside of Jibea. Benjamin moved against them, that day killing 18,000 Israelites, bringing the running total to 40,000 dead Israelites so far, beaten down by 26,000 Benjaminites, who suffered an unmentioned but likely low number of casualties. Not surprisingly, the Israelites were stunned and depressed at the seemingly continual routing by an assumed inferior force. The text relays that all the Israelites, the whole army, went back to Bethel and wept, sitting there before the Lord where they fasted until that evening. They then offered burnt offerings and sacrifices of well-being before the Lord. After this, they asked God, Shall we go out once more to battle against our kinsfolk, the Benjaminites, or shall we desist? The Lord answered, Go up, for tomorrow I will give them into your hand. We're reminded that the Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days, meaning in Bethel with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar and grandson of Aaron, was ministering before it. Implied in this is that this time, when they sought God's counsel, they went before the Ark. After the affirmative answer, the Israelites' army positioned men waiting in ambush around Jibea. On the third day, the Israelites went up against the Benjaminites, taking their positions as they had done the previous days. On that day, and for reasons unexplained, when the Benjaminites went out against the Israelite army, they were drawn away from the city. As it happened before, the Benjaminites began to kill the Israelites, with several details given. The attacks were along the main roads, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Jibea, as well as in the open country. In all, only about 30 Israelites were killed. Not to minimize those deaths, but it was magnitudes less than the previous couple of days. The Benjaminites misinterpreted the data, saying, They are being routed before us, as before. But the Israelites said, Let us retreat and draw them away from the city towards the roads, a feint that drew Benjamin's main force away from their defensive position. The main body of the Israelites drew back in its battle line to Bel Tamar, while those Israelites who were in ambush rushed out of their place west of Jibea. At that point, some 10,000 of Israel's best warriors came out against Jibea engaging in a battle described as fierce. Then, a bit of foreshadowing. The Benjaminites did not realize that disaster was nigh. There's no description of the rest of the battle, with only a summary provided. 25,100 armed Benjaminites were killed that day. And remember, their entire force was only 26,000, leaving 900 standing. At this point, the Benjaminites, at least what remained of them, 
realized the battle was lost. The chapter ends with a more comprehensive summary of the action. The Israelites gave ground to Benjamin because they had faith in the hand-picked troops that waited in ambush against Jibea. When the time was right, the troops in ambush quickly rushed upon Jibea, putting the whole city to the sword. The advance troops, the hand-picked 10,000, would send up a smoke cloud out of the city of Jibea when the time was right. It was before this cloud was set that the 30 Israelites were killed by the advancing Benjaminites. For whatever reason, the Benjaminites thought the death of the 30 was a sure signal that the third day's battle was going to be in their favor, as the previous battles had been. Then came the smoke. When the cloud of smoke, further described as a column, began to rise out of the city, the Benjaminites looked behind them. They saw, in the words of the text, the whole city going up in smoke towards the sky. The text completed with an exclamation mark. When the Israelites saw the smoke column, they stuck to their plan, stopping the feint, then turning their superior numbers towards the Benjaminites. Almost immediately, the sons of Benjamin realized the trap had been sprung and there was little chance of escape. Dismayed. That's how the text describes them. They were caught between the superior forces' pincer tactic. Their city of Jibea was burning, and they were vastly outnumbered by the Israelites coming from the other direction. So they chose what was likely their only viable option, and it wasn't that great. They turned towards the wilderness, but they weren't quick enough, with the allied Israelite forces promptly catching up to them. On one side was the mass of Israelites, and on the other, the smaller hand-chosen force that had set the city afire, with the text saying the Benjaminites were being slaughtered between. Those that could kept running. Those that couldn't fell to the sword. The Israelites pursued their brethren as far as an unnamed place east of Jibea. Then, there's something unexpected in the narrative. All those Benjaminites that fell were described as being armed and courageous fighters. 600 made it to a hiding place at the Rock of Rimen, in the wilderness. They would remain at that rock for four months. While they were hiding, the allied Israelites turned back from their pursuit and killed the remaining Benjaminites, and not just their people, but also their livestock. Their cities were burned, everything destroyed, all due to the crime of a few and the failure of the tribe to hand over the perps. Then, another unexpected turn, again. The Israelites had sworn an oath at Mizpah, saying, no one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. Then the people came to Bethel and sat there until evening before God, meaning the ark, and lifted up their voices in bitter weeping. There they said, O Lord, the God of Israel, why has it come to pass that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? The next day, the people got up early, built an altar, and offered burnt offerings and sacrifices of well-being. Then, after this, they looked for an out to their oath. They said, Which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up in the assembly to the Lord? 
For a solemn oath had been taken, whoever did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah, saying, That one shall be put to death. Still the Israelites had compassion for Benjamin, their kin, and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters as wives? Their oath had placed them in a quandary against their compassion. They said, Is there anyone from the tribes of Israel who did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah? They searched their memory, looking for a loophole, until someone recalled that no one from Jabesh-Gilead had come to the camp, to the assembly, and had not taken the oath. They took the roll, and sure enough, no one from that city was there. So, what to do? They did what they did best, violence. The congregation sent 12,000 soldiers to the city and ordered the troops to go put the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead to the sword, including the women and the little ones. This is what you shall do. Every male and every woman that has been with a man you shall kill. They then captured 400 young women and brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which was described as being in the land of Canaan. Then, the whole congregation sent a message to the Benjaminites, who were still hiding at the Rock of Rimen, proclaiming that the conflict was over. They told the few remaining Benjaminites they could come out from there and live among the Israelites in peace. The few remaining took them up on the offer, returning to the land of the living, where they were given the captured women. But it wasn't enough, as there were 600 men and only 400 women. The other Israelite tribes remained compassionate towards them and set about formulating an additional plan. In a part of the text that seems extremely redundant, the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since there are no women left in Benjamin? They formulated an additional answer. There must be heirs for the survivors of Benjamin, in order that a tribe may not be blotted out from Israel. Yet we cannot give any of our daughters to them as wives. After this, a new idea was formulated. They said, Look, the yearly festival of the Lord is taking place at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem, and south of Labina, which is a great bit of detail about time and place. Then they instructed the Benjaminites, Go and lie in wait in the vineyards, and watch. When the young women of Shiloh come out to dance, then come out from hiding in the vineyards, and each of you carry off a wife for himself from the young women of Shiloh, and go to the land of Benjamin. Then, if their fathers or brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, Be generous, and allow us to have them, because we do not capture in battle a wife for each man, but neither did you incur guilt by giving your daughters to them another loophole, and another courtship ritual that's a bit hard to fathom. The remaining Benjaminite bachelors apparently agreed with this plan, taking kidnapped wives for each. Then they went and returned to their territory, rebuilt the towns, and lived in them. After this, the Israelites departed, heading home to their various assigned tribes. The chapter in the book of Judges wraps up with the passage I've mentioned in an earlier episode. 
In those days, there was no king in Israel. All the people did what was right in their own eyes, all pointing towards the future while offering an explanation to the shocking tales in the book. And that's the summary of the book of Judges. Though, I'm not quite done with this chapter of the podcast. While doing these summaries, I happened across a few topics I'll get to in the next couple of episodes. I'll start those next week. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes or wherever you get the podcast from. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week.